High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Summer's going well, and welcome back. Privates, corporals, sergeants, oh, and an extra special shout out to you air marshals out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the Summer Slumber Party is at my place this evening. But first... Let's chat about your homework, because summer school is still in session. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Lot of feedback on last week's episode, Your Homework, Weird Science, which we did with Walt Hickey of Numlock News. I thought it was a fun episode. I actually had a fun time talking about it. But a lot of people on social media and, you know, on the streets, on the hallways, or in the hallways, I should say, of the high school that I pretend I reside in, or at least where, I don't know. Again, I sometimes don't get the premise of the show. But anyway, a lot of people have been giving me some interesting feedback. Apparently, Weird Science is a more beloved classic than I thought. And I didn't mean to come off as, like, completely hating on the film. It was a silly, fun watch. I can't imagine anyone thinking it's a masterpiece of cinema, but whatever. I mean, I had fun. I think Walt had fun. Um, it's, it's a great listen, I think, if you want to listen back. And if you have a different opinion on Weird Science, please let me know. A lot of you, again, did on social media. It's a fun film. I get that. But I understand. I listen to the masses. I'm going to watch it again. And I'll let you know in a couple weeks if my opinion changed. Something I did find interesting, though, was, uh, and Walt and I were talking about it on the show last week, was that there was a Weird Science TV show. Apparently it was on USA Network, and it ran five seasons. And I had no idea. But a lot of you out there remember this show, and actually remember it fondly. I thought that was, like, super, super amazing. You know, from talking to people, they were like, yeah, I remember that show. 
someone even told me, and I forgot who it was, that they knew the show many, many years before the movie, and then when they saw that the movie existed, they thought it was an adaptation of the show. Um, I just want to read some Instagram comments, though, because I posted a photo of, I guess, um, maybe the DVD cover for the Weird Science TV show, and it was like, hey, anyone remember this? And again, a lot of you replied. Top Shelf Wrestling Finds, which seems to be this awesome wrestling t-shirt company. Not going to talk about that on this show, but your vintage wrestling t-shirts, you know, the ones maybe from high school, they're coming back in a big way, and they're selling like hotcakes. But regardless, uh, Top Shelf Wrestling Finds wrote, What's really weird is I showed my girl this movie a couple weeks ago. It was her first time seeing it, and she loved it. Last night we started watching the TV show on Tubi. So I guess it's available on that, like, Tubi app, which, you know what? I'm going to have to check it out because that sounds really, really awesome. It sounds like a fun nostalgia piece. See, guys, I don't hate weird science. Anyway. (laughs) Canadian Collectors wrote, I never knew this existed either. I'm sure the movie's better than this, LMAO. Sorry, I paraphrased that because I was reading it fast, but you get the idea. XO Glamour Zombie. Oh, who's actually Autumn, who's been on this show before. Thanks, Autumn. Autumn Ferrara now. Wife, actually, of our guest this week, but we'll get into that later. LOL, it used to be on USA. I loved this show back in the 90s. See, people really dug it. So thank you to everyone who commented on social media this week. Like I said, class participation is a huge part of your grade. And as always, you can like us on Facebook and comment there. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you just want to send me an email, you can just send me an email. I'd love to read it. You can send it at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. Pretty, pretty easy. Whoa, 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 the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Don't forget that. We got a lot more homework to talk about. Specifically, the best way you can help High School Slumber Party. It's by hitting that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. That's Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. What am I missing? Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, of course. Always forget the Green Goblin itself, Spotify. But, uh, of course, give us a five-star rating. Leave us a nice, wonderful review. And maybe the most important, bestest way you can help High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend about all the wonderful things that happen once we climb into our sleeping bags. That sounds creepy, but I'm going to leave it in. (laughs) So last but not least, your homework for this week was to watch Starship Troopers. Now, some people were like, that's a high school movie? Oh, yeah, it's a high school movie. The first, like, half of this movie is super, super high school. But, of course, you did your homework. You know that. And our guest this week, he was on recently for Gleaming the Cube. And he's back because this is one of his favorite films. That's Dan Ferrara. So, without further ado, pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's take it away with the theme from Starship Troopers, a nice instrumental, if you will. Class dismissed.
Dan, I'm so thankful to have you back on. It was actually kind of chance that we're doing this film today. We'd always intended to talk about this film. Yeah, I'm really excited to do this one. This is <laughs> an old favorite. Michael Manzi, who you were on our Can't Hardly Wait episode, his show Third Time's a Charm, actually changed your schedule up a little bit and decided to do Starship Troopers 3. So tomorrow on the Cage Club Podcast Network, Third Time's a Charm is discussing Starship Troopers 3. So it's the appropriate time to discuss the original Starship Troopers and a little co-shared event, if you will. And Dan, I think you're the man to really talk about this because this is I know this is one of your favorite films. I didn't even remember it was a high school film when I started this podcast. But uh, I mean, I could tell you're very, very excited to share some of your like everything that's been pent up maybe maybe your whole life to discuss Starship Troopers. Yeah, kind of, because this is a very um, misunderstood movie. It really is, and especially with our generation, because um, and like I understand it because when it came out, uh, what was ninety seven when it came out? So we were what ten or eleven years old, give or take in that range, ten, mm-hmm. eleven, twelve, thirteen. And at that age, you look at it, and it is a straight up uh, B sci fi. It is. I'm going to go to a planet and we're killing bugs. And that's pretty much the entire plot. Kids out of high school, the space army and kill bugs. And aside from, you know, cool special effects and whatnot, that's pretty much the whole plot on surface level. Yeah. And, you know, we look at our main character, Johnny Rico, uh, played by Casper Van Dien. And, you know, in, again, like just looking at it surfacely, like this whole movie starts as typical high school as you can get oh absolutely and that's that's why i was like super super surprised like i don't know i forgot about this part because i and we'll get into like our watches of this film but before any of that let's get let's get our intros out of the way because you know i could tell like we're we're gonna get deep on this one so this is a deep dive (laughs) so i hope you're you know strap in because uh the rockets are gonna launch we're gonna blast off the planet p and uh, you know we're gonna Dive into some wormholes. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some, uh, you know, setting the tone for you. See what I did there? Yes, <laughs> and I love it. I love it. So, Dan, um, remember, name, high school, all that jazz. All right. My name's Dan Ferrara. I am now a veteran of this high school slumber party. And uh, I went to Northern Valley Regional of Pan, and we were the Golden Knights. Golden Knights, again, we're, we're high school classmates. And this is, this is a film, I think you were just about to get into it, maybe. But when was the first time you saw Starship Troopers? I saw this in theaters. Wow. See, um, I wanted to, but like I think it was rated R, right? And I couldn't get anyone to go with me. I don't remember. I think this is one of those circumstances where it's like you look back and you go like, thanks, Mom. Because I'm sure I was just that annoying to like bitch and moan until like somebody took me, and I do remember seeing it in theaters, but I, I honestly I don't remember the circumstances. It might have when I'm trying to think when it actually came out because it could have even been like a birthday thing. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I did see it in theaters. I remember really, like I said, wanting to see it with some friends because I had been a big fan and and player of the very popular game at the time, StarCraft. This was middle school. Oh, of course, yeah. And it reminded me, like, from the trailers, a lot like StarCraft, because you got, you know, like... Space Marine thing. Yeah, Space Marines killing killing bugs. bugs. Yeah. That's why I worked for Terminex for so long, (laughs) because of this movie. (laughs) I'm sure sure that went through your head a lot as as a way to pass the time. (laughs) 
the first day I got the job at Terminex, there was plenty of uh, Starship Troopers memes going around. <laughs> but uh, and, and yeah, this was this was something that I think you're absolutely right. On first glance, it was just like cool, you know, cool intergalactic war movie. Maybe not meant to be taken seriously. Maybe just meant to have fun and stuff. And wow, like on this watch, I definitely got a different viewing because all my watches of this film, to be honest with you, since maybe my first watch, have just been like on the sci-fi channel, like catching parts here or there. It's surface level in the background noise type. You know, it's people almost watch this because it's kitschy. You know, it's it's like watching like a Plan 9 from outer space type. You know, people take it as a, a B sci-fi versus a Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> you know, it's it's still you know it's still RoboCop. It's still you know, holy a Total Recall. You know, it's still that same guy. You know what I mean? It's and that's what people are missing. Let alone that the disconnect of. Although I'll get into this in a minute too. Yes, it is based on a book, but a book that is also at one point required reading at U.S. military academies, including West Point and Annapolis, Maryland, because of its portrayal of mobile infantry and its take on uh, warfare. <laughs> which, know, is how, insane, it, which is and, insane. And like I said, whether that's the, whether the author's original intent, uh, Robert Heinlein was the original author who wrote it in 59, the novel, had a much different intent than the direction Beerhoven took with it, but it's still at the core uh, a, a military movie, and it, and like I said, and most of our military starts with kids in high school, and like I said at the intro, <laughs> this movie starts as high school movie as you can get. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and for some reason, I don't know why. Like I said, I didn't really remember this, or I just thought they were briefly there. But no, this is even after it passes high school. It still very much has a high school feel because you're dealing with young people and relationships and he likes her and she likes him kind of drama. And this very much, very much qualifies as a high school film. I was Let's, worried. I'll say we'll set the scene real quick. Johnny Rico is the high school jock with like high school jock problems. He's got to win. He's got to win the big football game. Uh, his girlfriend like won't have sex with him. He's trying to like convince her otherwise. <laughs> he's trying to figure out like, how am I going to get good grades and get like, what am I going to do after graduation? You know? And, and it all seems very normal, like very saved by the bellish kind of, you know what I mean? But then you got to take the step back and like realize that this whole saved by the bell Americana high school thing and then you got to look at the environment it's taking place in. His name's Johnny Rico, and he's from Buenos Aires. <laughs> you know, and in in the novel, his name is it's it's Juan Rico, and you know they they call it in the military is once they call him Johnny, and it's it's just kind of like glanced over that they're living in a totally military controlled United planet. Yeah, like some it's a totally, fascist. It's a totally planet. fascist regime. Earth, but it's like a fascist Earth. Maybe a hundred years from now, and probably one. And this is what I think was great about like the casting: Michael Ironside, who plays their history teacher slash, you know, drill and uh, not drill instructor, mar like marine sergeant, um, their their combat sergeant. Uh, he's he was one of the greatest parts of this casting because he's the only one that knows that this whole film is a satire. <laughs> I think you're right about you that. 
No, I think like I'm really convinced because they did a really good job with like Casper Van Dien and Denise Richards. Like they're a mix of like they probably didn't read the source material. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Like I'm not, not. not I'm not calling like I'm not saying stupid nothing because like they've done other good movies and stuff like that, and they didn't do a poor job in acting. But they just took it again at face value, and they're like, "Oh no, we're supposed to be like these like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed high school kids." And Michael Ironside knows that this is this, so he's playing up the part, and it just does it great because you have, and then they have the other girlfriend, the other girl, Diz. So I'm kind of getting a little derailed, but so you have Michael Ironside as their history teacher, and yeah. they're pushing all this. So you're in a an American high school, but in this. Well, I can't even say American there. I guess if he's from Buenos Aires, I don't know. It's like a, but it's your. It feels like your typical American high school, right? I and, guess that's what we can agree on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to uh, quickly say before I forget, Michael Ironside. We've met him once before on this podcast from a very very strange film, Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night Two. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. It's one of the king of B horror films. Um, that that's where we previously seen him on this uh, podcast. And, you know, before we get into the weeds too much, I don't want to forget this as well. I always read, like, the back of the DVD cover, which I think is really, really unfair because you never really hear the high school aspect in it. So let me just read it quick. From the bridge of Fleet Battle Station Ticonderoga, with its sweeping galactic views to its desolate terrain of the planet Kledathu? Uh, Kledathu, whatever. (laughs) Teeming with shrieking... Fire-spitting, brain-sucking, special effects creatures. Acclaimed director, Paul Verdenhoven. That's Is it Verdenhoven or Verdenhoven? Do we know? Verhoven. Verdenhoven? Okay. I don't know the Dutch. Verdenhoven. <laughs> Paul Verdenhoven crafts a dazzling epic based on Robert A. Heinlein's classic sci-fi adventure. That's basically it. Then it just starts listing the actors, which, again, we'll go into a little bit more. But then it says... Like Star Wars, it's ground zero for a new generation of thrill seekers. The only good bug is a dead bug. That honestly feels like propaganda for the film, which this film is like a propaganda film, you know. And that's the whole point. And <laughs> and that's kind. Of, I feel like everyone's like, oh, it's so. One of the big words. It's cheesy. It's a cheesy movie, and I feel like that's played into because this whole movie. You're right. It's shot like propaganda. And Paul Verhoeven, I feel like he's making the statement, propaganda is not art. (laughs) I feel like, uh, like I said, I'm going to be all over the place. There's a lot to deep dive here. (laughs) And so, like I said, we're very removed from the fact that it's really only briefly hinted in this high school class that we're living in a – in this universe, we're living on a military fascist regime. Yeah, we're not everyone is a citizen. No, and specifically we're in a high school history class. Or, or, or uh, civics class, I should say. And this is where we kind of need to pay attention a little bit and where a lot of people didn't, and they just thought it was a straight-up, shoot 'em up type sci-fi movie. Rico. Rico. Rico! Pay attention. Sorry, Mr. Ratchet. Let's sum up. This year, we explored the failure of democracy, how the social scientists brought our world to the brink of chaos. We talked about the veterans, how they took control and imposed the stability that has lasted for generations since. You know these facts, but have I taught you anything of value this year? 
Hmm? You. Why are only citizens allowed to vote? It's a reward. What the Federation gives you for doing federal service. No. No. Something given has no value. Look, when you vote, you are exercising political authority. You're using force. And force, my friends, is violence. The supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. Uh, my mother always said violence never solves anything. Really? I wonder what the city fathers of Hiroshima would say about that. You. They probably wouldn't say anything. Hiroshima was destroyed. Correct. Naked force has resolved more issues throughout history than any other factor. The contrary opinion, that violence never solves anything, is wishful thinking at its worst. People who forget that always pay. Rico, what's the moral difference, if any, between a civilian and a citizen? A citizen accepts personal responsibility for the safety of the body politic, defending it with his life. A civilian does not. The exact words of the text. But do you understand it? Do you believe it? I don't know. Of course you don't. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. And like, they're talking about, you hear a little bit of a speech that the civics teacher Michael Ironside is giving, and he says something along the lines of like, uh, which is kind of, if you really listen, it's relevant to kind of what we're talking about, like, or living with these days. And he's like, uh, science or scientists brought us to like the brinks, the brink of chaos, but look, the veterans brought us back from it. You know, he's kind of saying like, if you look at it, if you kind of interpret it in like today, look, if you look at like what the far right is saying about climate change denial and, you know, down to like anti-vax and all this pushback against the scientific community and saying, and this over praising or, iconoclasting of the military and the military industrial complex as a whole you know it's a uh, service guarantee citizenship it's the only way to be a citizen the only way to get the right to vote in this in this community is to be a veteran so your your normal citizens they don't even have a right until you've served i love how it's like so unquestioned by them there's no like rebellious element in the film which again lends me to believe that he's trying to create almost a satire, well, obviously a satire, but a propaganda film. A lot of people, when this came out, criticized it for being like, oh, you know, you're propping up fascism and supporting fascism. But it's, again, I think we're in agreement here. Like, it should not be viewed in that tone at all. And I, I just want to tie it into high school as well, because believe it or not, while, again, I hope, unless I'm blinded, that we don't live in 100% of a fascist society, we do get messages that are driven um, to us in high school that we just kind of believe and hear. What what I think of is almost in, like, high school health class. How many times do the teachers say that abstinence is, you know, the best form of birth control or whatever? And that's state-mandated. Right, exactly. It's the same thing, almost. It's Obviously not to this level, but it's the same thing. So there are points here where you're like, huh... It's it's very similar. You got to take the fact that in in the reality of it is Paul Verhoeven as a child he grew up in Nazi occupied uh, so a lot of this was kind of like firsthand drawn. And what I thought was after like learning that what I thought was funny was when we were younger I kind of joked about okay here you have this guy Johnny Rico from Buenos Aires played by Casper Van Dien. You know it's like 
the whitest jock guy you could find, you know, but apparently it was a really sly kind of jab at as a nod of like the I don't want to say conspiracy theory because it's, it's been proven to happen, but the Nazis that fled Germany for Argentina after World War II. <laughs> and that's how you get a really white Aryan Johnny Rico. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense. I think it's one of these, I don't want to say happy accidents, but something similar where, yeah, it, it could be viewed in that level. But just from like doing this podcast, this is also something where I guarantee a studio is not going to be like, hey, let's cast all Hispanics in these roles, you know? So, like, true. it's like a win. I don't want to say win-win because it's not, but <laughs> from, no, right. from their perspective. But I, do, I do feel like even coming from the type of satire that was shown in the original RoboCop through, like, the I'd buy that for a dollar commercial, like, things <laughs> like that, this, those subtle nods, it's not something I would put past uh, Verhoeven to sneak No, in. I don't think so. And I want to talk about uh, Verhoeven a little bit. He has said in multiple interviews that this is his favorite film. And Dan, you kind of introed him a little bit. Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct. But he, I, I laugh because he's filming this movie off Showgirls, which is definitely... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about Showgirls. I forgot that he did Showgirls. But the, it's, it's relative, too, because Showgirls is another film that when it came out, everybody... Was very hated. necessary to my youth. <laughs> but everyone hated it. Everyone hated it. But yes, <laughs> but today a lot of people are like have been considering it like a cult classic because some people are viewing it as a hundred percent satire, you know. And I think it I think it works so damn well. Like when you look at his entire catalog, you get this guy a lot more. So so some background on the film: the original script was called Bug Hunt on Outpost Nine. It wasn't even based off Starship Troopers, but. Once they, I, I believe that, you know, someone pointed out that it was similar to Starship Troopers. They bought the rights and kind of merged the two ideas. The director also liked, to your point in the casting, he actually wanted to cast people who looked younger and were younger because he wanted to show, like, oh, my God, we're sending these high school kids to war. But the studio wanted older-looking actors just, I mean, it's an R movie, and they're more marketable anyway. Oh, um, I also read this. You mentioned Michael Ironside. I just want to get this out of the way. I read this quote by him. He was on the Adam Carolla show in 2014, so I'm not surprised if you didn't hear this interview. For the record, I thought Adam Carolla would have been perfect for the American version of uh, Top Gear. <laughs> yeah, no. I just, mean, just putting that out there. <laughs> Kimmel, got, Kimmel got the love, and Carolla did not in their Postman show like heyday what happened to the man show boy <laughs> i don't know that's a that's a good explanation exploration that's a show that's been forgotten and, and probably <laughs> it doesn't really fit in our current and and who were the time. guys that tried to do it afterwards yeah oh god i forgot Oak about Stan that Hope. i remember it was one of them but <laughs> i think he has he has he has somewhat of a career somewhere yeah I, mean, I shouldn't down talk he's doing better than i am well, but, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't jimmy kimmel and adam carolla <laughs> michael ironside asked the director uh Vierthoven, why are we doing a right-wing fascist movie and then Vierthoven's reply was if i tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work no one will listen to me so i'm going to make the perfect fascist world everything is beautiful everything is shiny everything has big guns and fancy ships but it's only good for killing fucking bugs and, and and to top it all off, like, Vierthoven has said, the film's message can be broken down into this. War makes fascist of all of us. So, like, you know, and, and when you read quotes like that, it, it kind of makes more sense. Um, 
another thing criticized of this film when it came out was the nudity and violence. <laughs> um, there, there's a ton of it here. But again, this should not be surprised. With it, while this is certainly his most violent film, it's not crazy considering the director's work. And as, as far as nudity, and I read this, this is a guy who made a three-breasted alien and who, and I'm not saying it, I'm happy about this, but essentially tricked Sharon Stone into showing her vagina in Basic Instinct. What I will say, and this is like, I was going to go off on a side tangent. I, I haven't even glimpsed the fascism side of this yet, but a side tangent of this is um, at least the nudity in this. It's almost poignant in the fact that like it's not like for sexual reasons or like for like male gaze, like ogling. It's you know the the biggest one that everyone sees is like the mixed uh, the mixed shower scene, you know. Yeah. And the biggest thing here is that in this movie, it's you know the fascism aside that there's a, a subplot of like total gender equality. Yeah. You know, which I really it's, dug it's, this time. Yeah, I mean, well, I will say the one as far as you know the the source material the the, the book is kind of like a far right ideology and the one thing that probably wouldn't fly these days in the far right would be uh, a black female sky marshal but um we see that we yeah, see yeah uh, the, the the whole freaking planet eventually gets led by a woman um it's as equal as equal can be pretty much in terms yeah, of yeah their the bunks genders. their showers are in are, are both unisex uh the ticonderoga the, the you know the prize of the fleet is is as a captain by a, a female you know diz be- becomes promoted you know it's uh it, it seems to women serving the in- infantry this is even a, a captain on the football team even down to like high school sports you know so there's your your title nine stuff <laughs> you know <laughs> by, by the uh, way uh it's technically not football let me see what right. I, I wrote it down. Right. It's called jump ball, <laughs> and it's supposed to combine gymnastics and football. Now, okay, side question. Maybe you'll know this. Are they just very flexible in the future, or they have, have they somehow, not counting the whole psychic thing, have they somehow also gained, like, jumping powers? Um, if we're going to base this in reality, what I like to think is, okay, so you know how, like, Elon Musk is talking about, like, merging the brain with, like, computer chips and whatnot? <laughs> yes, so we're talking about hacking muscles and like neurological links and probably gaining or genetically engineering babies at this point. So it's like one of the two, either genetically engineering like better people, especially in a fascist regime. Who are we kidding? You know, every person in this, with the exception of Jake Busey, uh, <laughs> is like pretty chiseled. I'm not saying Jake Busey is weird, but, you know, if he was genetically engineered, his teeth would have been. Uh, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it's it's either genetically engineered or tiny nanobots in the body increasing. <laughs> oh, I mean, that makes sense, uh, for especially for <laughs> this world. Um, you mentioned Jake Busey. Uh, you know, he, he was... I can't believe how much he looks like his father. Oh, my God. Actually, did, side note, did you watch the new Stranger Things? Ye- oh, not the new season. No, not yet. Oh, okay. Why? He's in it, and he looks even more like his father. Really? I gotta check this yes. out. Not uh, like in the Coke days, but just <laughs> now that he's older. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um... Also, I want to mention, you mentioned Denise Richards and Casper Randine, of course, uh, but Neil Patrick Harris, I completely forgot he was in this film. I don't know why, because it, it's just such an in-between time for Neil Patrick exactly. Harris. Exactly. It was post-Doogie, but before he got, like, ironically big with, like, Harold and Kumar and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, and then How I Met Your Mother and stuff. But, like, you almost forget that between Harold and Kumar and Doogie Howser, 
he did this. Right. <laughs> and people, people on set would would call him Doogie Himmler because well, because of like his SS style uniforms and <laughs> a bunch of other like names who I weren't wasn't too familiar with. Two names stuck out. I mean, well, three that we haven't mentioned yet. But Amy Smart. But you know, I, watching, I noticed that it was her. It wasn't like you know, she's not. She doesn't she's have a big role. First roles, I guess. Yeah. She's the she's the like Denise Richards little academy friend yeah <laughs> um but two others was rue mcclanahan plays the biology teacher and rue mcclanahan is one of the golden girls oh yeah thank you for being a friend travel down the road and back again i did not I realize, realize she didn't really yeah. look like her but and that and that really you know that really uh cool dissecting scene i love that scene because uh you know denise richards is like the perfect student and be able to see her puke yeah it's kind of like it humanizes her <laughs> yeah absolutely and she gets in there and she's like oh you know <laughs> oh. oh come on it's just a bug you better put your goggles just on just the bug <laughs> we humans like to think we are nature's finest achievement i'm afraid it just isn't true this archaeal sand beetle is superior in many ways. It reproduces in vast numbers, has no ego, has no fear, doesn't know about death, and so is the perfect selfless member of society. But humans have created art, mathematics, and interstellar travel. True, but before you let that go to your head, take the example of the arachnids. A highly evolved insect society. By human standards, they are relatively stupid. But their evolution stretches over millions of years. And now, take this. they can colonize planets by hurling their spore into space. Okay, I think we got it. The heart. There's the stomach. <laughs> And, you know, it was a very high school scene, too, because it's like a, not that our generation really dissected stuff, but it's that typical high school scene of dissecting a frog. Instead, it's dissecting a very large space bug. Yeah. <laughs> and the the other person I saw on here was uh, Dale Dye. And I don't know if you're too familiar with Dale Dye, but pretty much watch every war movie and you'll see this guy's name in the credits. He's always like the consultant for war films, like famously uh, Platoon. Like that, I think that's where he got his start. But even that's really funny. Even today, yeah. Oh no, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, even today, you, you see his name in like credits for yeah. recent films. I've seen him like in the last ten years as well. Yeah, it's funny because I would say there's there's almost a similarity between like Johnny Rico and uh, Charlie Sheen's character in Platoon, because uh, like Charlie Sheen has that whole speech about like I'm here because it's basically white guilt. Hey Taylor, how in the fuck you get here anyway? Oh, you look educated. I volunteered for it. You do what? I volunteered. I dropped out of college and told them I wanted the infantry, combat, and Vietnam. You volunteered for this shit, man? Believe that? You was a crazy fucker. Giving up college? Didn't make much sense. I wasn't learning anything. I figured why should just the poor kids go off to war and the rich kids always get away with it? Oh, I see. What we got here is a crusader. <laughs> Sounds like it. Shit. You gotta be rich in the first place to think like that. 
uh, yeah. a rich man. Like, like, I'm here because if I don't go, they're going to send another poor kid to do my job anyway. And Johnny Rico's kind of in the same position where his dad is like, come here, come back to Buenos Aires. I got a ton of money. You don't have to do that. And, uh, and Johnny's like, no, I want to be a citizen. And, you know, Buenos Aires gets obliterated anyway. But there's a very similar moment in there. Where uh, so just by mentioning platoon, there was that little crossover moment. That yeah, I and it, it's almost this. like they go the exact opposite direction too. Exactly, you know? <laughs> the films no, and the characters. And that's what I thought was really funny about this this movie, where every war film, especially like, and that's why war films love high school kids because you're taking the future, you're taking not just something that's innocent, you're taking all this potential and you're getting it wasted. You know, you're not just killing something; you're killing everything there could be. You know, that's always the tragedy behind war films. But because we're taking this from a fascist perspective, you know, we're looking at the clean, shiny, bright future. And you're praising the whole military aspect of it. And, you know, you're sending these and there is death and there is destruction, but it's almost glamorized. Like Johnny Rico, every time he gets a promotion, it's because somebody else dies. Like you're it until you're dead, or I find somebody better. Yeah, and you know, that's, like, and they say it over and over again, where it just yep, becomes like and, a funny line. Yep, and it's oorah, like you know, go and you know, it's this overhype, you know, of it. And you know, I'm kind of like I said, I'm going to be jumping around a lot, but even fast forward to the end of the movie, what's the reward for doing a good job? It's more war. Yeah. You know, and they'll keep fighting. You know, it's in this, like I said, this this uh satirical fascist reign that's it you know it's the perpetual it's the perpetual war no 100 percent. and dan there were some changes in this uh after the test audience saw some of these things there's some changes in the scripts i don't know for the better but well first i'm going to ask you something would you like to know more (laughs) please click (laughs) (laughs) um so original and this, this is the kind of bullshit that studios do like i uh, no one should be happy when I read these things, but originally Carmen was torn between Rico and Xander like more. Like they kind of hint at it here, but originally mm-hmm. she, she like wasn't sure what to do. And <laughs> the test audiences felt that a woman, it, it was not proper for her to love two men at one time. So <laughs> those scenes were cut. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and you know, the, it was a, the, the, it was the '90s. It was a pretty uh, <laughs> backwards time all the way back then. And the other thing I thought was funny was that the test audience, and which I, I hope people wouldn't still agree with, the test audiences really hated Carmen as well because she chose career over um, her man. And I feel like that's a really weird time because I feel like the '90s was that time of like the real corporate go get 'em like woman. Like, I, I like, agree. Ceiling. So I thought that was odd, but mm-hmm. I think it was one of these things where it was like we're saying we're doing this, but we're not ready to see it yet. Yeah. The know? only the only crime that like Carmen's guilty of in this movie is her ridiculous eyebrows. <laughs> like they are just like they're actually I shouldn't say that because I feel like they're back in fashion these days. Like there was tattoo thick ridiculous. Oh yeah. They're really they're just really really thick eyebrows. <laughs> Just like angry looking things. I'm not a I'm not a Denise Richards wow, fan. I'm not, I was gonna that, say. I'm not on that bandwagon. We previously talked about Denise Richards on this podcast in another B would be a compliment for this high school film, but it was a film called Tammy and the T Rex, where Denise Richards falls in love with a T Rex because her boyfriend, who played by Paul Walker, is dead and his brain gets put into this T Rex. Interesting film. You guys should check it out, <laughs> especially our podcast on it back in the archives. But we've seen her as well. 
So, I mean, that's kind of my, like, background information on this film. So the floor is sort of yours at this point, Dan. I, I know there's a lot to, that you want to talk about. So let's let's do this. Whatever you want to talk about, let's go. All right, we'll start with uh, probably the one thing people remember most, and you already touched on it, and would you like to know more? <laughs> these little – like, it's it's these little clips, these little windows, and, and it's this – propaganda and this um a little bit hint of like the the pop-ups of the internet age just starting to, to you know to pop like literally pop up throughout the movie and it's it's a really great play of this um like i said it's it's the whole thing's a satire of, of fashion and just the sloganeering you get these great clips of you know i'm doing my part and it's little kids wearing these giant boots like stomping on cockroaches yeah and it's and the parents are like clapping and cheering and it's an indoctrination method like you know it starts from that little end and uh, it goes up to the point where you have the soldiers giving their assault rifles to like five year old kids <laughs> and they're like you know they talk about like you know your right wing uh, havens you know that's one of those things like yeah my my kid can totally have a <laughs> by the way those are one of the coolest sci-fi weapons ever like the assault rifle with like the shotgun i forgot what they were called but yeah i i do too but it's like it's similar to like arnold schwarzenegger's like dutch's like m16 in predator but for some reason it's just cooler looking you know (laughs) even though it's like the same like assault rifle shotgun attachment it just looks cool and even like the whole armor and everything, which is then reused. The armor's reused in another sci-fi favorite. It's the Alliance armor in in uh, Firefly. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I love. Yeah, Firefly. if you watch Firefly, you get a couple glimpses. It's like a little bit repainted and has some like stuff on it, but it's definitely the Starship Trooper armor. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, there's just like I said, there's so much to unpack here, and I said a lot of it is like completely, even though it's a weird where like the scenes and the dialogue and stuff are very true to the source material, which is like a, a very right wing book way it's filmed. They just makes fun of the whole, not to say makes fun, but flips the, the message from the book completely flips it upside down. Yeah, you no, know? exactly. The way is a good way to put it. It's like, it, it it's a right wing, crazy it fascist cha- it book. It didn't change the material. No, but I mean <laughs> here or there, but not in terms of like, like you said, there's a lot of like similar dialogue and stuff like that, but it's it's put in a lens that, again, and I hope people understand that this is a satire, you know? And yeah, exactly. It's a, I feel like we're almost watching a propaganda film. Like, you know when they're, uh, I forgot what scene it is, but when they're, I think there's a newscast, and they actually like Johnny Rico, I think that's when he says his bug line, just like... Oh, like, kill them all. Yeah, kill, kill them all. <laughs> You know? Yeah, because it's 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 right when they invade. No, it's after they, it's after the failed invasion of Clandathu, and like they got. He's like, I had friends on that planet, and I say kill them all, you know. And the only good bug's a dead bug. Yeah. And what we find really funny, and it's only mentioned in one of these like passing news clips that we see, is that we realize that the whole reason that we were getting a te- or the whole reason we're going to Clandathu in the first place, is because. We were the invaders. Uh, it says that, like, um, like the whole clandestine thing was, we were colonizing planets on the outside of Federation territory. Like, we broke our treaty, and the bugs were reacting completely in self-defense, and we took it offensively. 
Out of the ashes of Buenos Aires comes first sorrow, then anger. The only good bug is a dead bug. In Geneva, the Federal Council convenes. We must meet the threat with our valor, our blood, indeed with our very lives, to ensure that human civilization, not insect, dominates this galaxy now and always. Sky Marshal Beans announces plans for an offensive against Clandathlon, source of the bug meteor that destroyed Buenos Aires. Every day, federal scientists are looking for new ways to kill bugs. Your basic arachnid warrior isn't too smart, but you can blow off a limb. And it's still 86% combat effective. Here's a tip. Aim for the nerve stem and put it down for good. Would you like to know more? Everyone's doing their part. Are you? The war effort needs your effort. At work, at home, in your community. We now break net and take you live to Fleet Battle Station Ticonderoga, deep inside the arachnid quarantine zone, where the men and women of the Federal Armed Services prepare to attack. DXQ uplink on two, one, you're on. No one here in the AQZ knows exactly when the invasion of Clendathu will occur. But everyone's talking about it, and the talk says tomorrow. Here's a bunch of MI kids that look like they could eat bugs for lunch. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. So, Trooper, you're not too worried about fighting the arachnids? Hey, shoot a nuke down a bug hole, you got a lot of dead bugs, I just right? hope it's not over before we get some. <laughs> <laughs> some say the bugs were provoked by the intrusion of humans into their natural habitat, that a live and let live policy is preferable to war with the bugs. Let me tell you something. I'm from Buenos Aires, and I say kill them all! Yeah! Oh, yeah! Yeah! Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah. He said, well, now, so it's like, we're the, you know, we're the baddies, <laughs> and we're acting like, well, these friggin' bugs didn't let us walk all over them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and like, dehumanization is a bad word, but kind of, you know, like, because they're not human necessarily, but the way that they're just, like, they're just bugs, they can't think, those sort of things, like... And they're just meant to be crushed, whole, right? And that's a whole uh, subplot to the movie is that you know a bug that you know they're going after. Well, somebody's telling these bugs what to target, and they're planning and they're setting traps. How can bugs do this? And like there must be, you know, a brain bug, a bug that can think. You know, that's that's ridiculous. You know, thinking, you know, underestimating your enemy, and like you said, dehumanizing. And that comes from uh, these past, you know. Every country, even old World War II movies to one point, you know, you're, you, part of it is you dehumanize your enemy. You know, it makes it easier to fight them, you know, when you have less of a conscience. And, you know, at the end of it, we do. We find this this brain bug that, you know, Doogie Hauser, his <laughs> special skill is that he's like a part of a psychic. You know, it's like, oh, it's scared. It's scared. Yeah, it's scared because it never wanted to go to war, you know. And uh, But when he says that, I love how they're cheering. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we, you know, and just everything about it and like how you said it feels like that old propaganda. It's even scenes from this are almost carbon copies. Uh, like Paul Verhoeven like made mention is like, uh, especially like in the beginning when they're showing like the basic training where when, when uh, Johnny Rico goes to first goes to base training and they're, they're all in formation and marching and like they're getting their big speech before they go to war. Um, it's straight like carbon copies out of Triumph of the Will. Yeah. You know, like these Nazi propaganda films, you know, it's, it's meant to have that, 
you know, and, and in a weird way, you don't realize that, you know, you're rooting for the humans, but, you know, if you're looking at it just from a political point of view, we're the bad guys, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's so crazy. It's just, again, like, this this watching was my favorite watching all time of Starship Troopers, that's for sure. Uh, just back to some of the high school elements, we have a prom, essentially, right? Yeah, with a really weird David Bowie cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how crazy is that? How cool is that prom, though? It's like... I don't know how to explain it. It's like it's like a pool with like a, a dance floor and bridges over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's and, really like you know, uh creative. Yeah, yeah, and I like that it wasn't like silly futuristic fashion. <laughs> you know, it was just it was still like uh tuxes and whatnot, but not like these ridiculous like silver and plastic things <laughs> like you know, you get from other like No, it was like subtle sci-fi. enough to it was subtle enough to be believable. Yeah, to be nineties futuristic, like <laughs> <laughs> I like I love the continued relationships between the characters. Like I said, even though they leave high school and this movie's not that long. And they, a lot happens in a short amount of time, I feel like. And, and there's actually like a decent amount of character development, which again I found super interesting, but we we see him at the football game. His team is the Giants, but he's like uh, the other guy Denise Richards is going after. They end up like serving together. Again, totally forgot his name in the film. But Xander? Xander, yes, Xander. Yeah, Xander's like the the Air Force guy, for lack of a better term. He becomes the other pilot Yeah. where Johnny Rico stays infantry. And, and, and uh, yeah. No, and then we, again, John, Johnny Rico basically joins... I mean, he says eventually, you know, he joined up for Denise Richards, and it, it's it's this whole like very much teenage, and it's sat satirized, but teenaged romance. Um, and what's the oh, one even, Dizzy? You said her name. Like, yeah, see, even even that love triangle, and like the idea of uh, you know, when you're that age, you're trying to like assert your own independence and find your own life because you know it's Dizzy likes Johnny, Johnny likes Denise Richards. Denise Richards likes Xander and Xander and Denise Richards go off to the Academy. So Johnny Rico feels like he needs to unless so he goes and then Diz Diz goes and then he even calls her out. He's like, Diz, did you just tag along to like to, to catch up with me? Meanwhile, he's mad at her for doing the same thing he's doing. And she's sitting there embarrassed. She's like, no, no. And, you know, then she ends up kind of, developing her own I don't need you anyway type she realizes it and you know asserts her, her own you know she becomes a squad leader at one point and no wait does she yeah she does yes yeah uh, he's he's gonna give it I think back to Jake Busey and he's like no nah, I, I suck or something like that right yeah because one after the training accident where the one dude's head gets blown Oof. off because Johnny Rico makes the wrong call I mean uh, to, to, uh, to be fair like don't take your helmet. I don't care if the, if it's not working. Don't take it off right there. <laughs> How kind of cool, like, theoretically, if you had that game, like, their amped up version of laser tag where it, like, <laughs> tasers you, where it's like, you know, you if, I don't know if you played paintball or anything like that before. It's like, I, I would kind of try that. I would play that game. Not the live action where the dude's head gets blown off, but the taser game they play first. The one with, like, the blue yeah. and red lasers. I would play that. I would try that. <laughs> you know, it, it's so it's so 90s, but so... so oh, yeah. 
so damn cool. I don't know if you read this fact, but at the at least at the time, this movie used more bullets than any other movie previously. Really? Yeah. I would not have guessed that. No, I wouldn't have either. I knew it had like a massive special effects budget for like the space scenes and like the, the fleet, like all like you know when the when the the bugs are shooting down like the the fleet and the Ticonderoga is like splitting in half and stuff. Well, as I know they had a, a ridiculous sci-fi, which actually the sci-fi, not the sci-fi, uh, special effects in here are actually really good for the time. Good for the time, and honestly, not so bad now. I thought we were going to watch this and be like, oh, oh, this is so cheesy, this is so corny. It was actually nominated that year for an Academy Award for visual effects. So if anyone wants to shit on Starship Troopers, it's technically an Academy Award-nominated film. <laughs> Uh, side note, you want to know something really funny? Um, I was reading about this. Uh, a lot of the actors weren't used to working with like green screen and stuff yet, so they weren't sure like where to look as far as like reacting to where the bugs and stuff would be. So Paul Verhoeven would stand like where the bug should be and he'd just kind of like jump up and down and you'd be yelling, "Look at me! I'm a big fucking bug! I'm a big fucking <laughs> bug! <laughs> I'm gonna kill you!" And uh, this is stuff like that. And then they said it was really funny. And a lot of the, they made a deal with, uh, like, when they were shooting the shower she- uh, scene, uh, a couple of the actors, like, weren't comfortable. So they, they said, we'll only get naked if you and the, the director of photography are also naked. And they're like, fine, no problem. They <laughs> shot, everybody shot the scene naked. Oh, yeah. And back to that scene, which is hilarious. Back to that scene. You're totally right. Like, it's not sexualized. It, oh, no, it's... It it's might be for us, every... but not for them. It's just complete equality, and they're just talking and ribbing like they're, you know, guys or girls. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's it's like, uh, it's literal, like, locker room. You know, they're cracking jokes on each other. They're, you know, you suck. You know, you can't shoot. I'm a better soldier. You know, like, it's typical, like, just straight-up bullshit, you know? It's, uh, it's not even thought about, you know? Yeah, the just the gender neutrality of this film is just... Amazing. Now look, do, do we get any like gay and lesbian characters? I didn't really see any, you know. So it's not to that level. I'm not saying it's groundbreaking on that end, but it certainly is in terms of like men and women being at least in this military. And this military pretty much is everything as perceived as equal. Let alone just the fact that you're seeing women in combat roles. Yeah, infantry took, combat roles. Like, I, which I don't think at that time was even still allowed. No. I don't think we, we didn't see women in combat till after 2000. Or 2001 or something like that. I just there was yeah no you're right. I, I just I don't understand um, how this movie gets really really shit on by a group of people. Now there's a group of people who love this film, including you obviously, but but <laughs> scholars who are just like I get it. It's like if you get it, you get it. If you don't get yeah. it, you don't get it. There was even like a um, a mystery science theater track. Of this film that you could download. Oh, the, the riff tracks. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, this is, I mean, I'll take a mystery science theater track on anything, honestly, but I don't know if it's worthy of that level of, of, wow, this is a shitty piece of crap. You no, know? like you said, it's, this wasn't like a low budget, like get it done. There's obviously everybody, not just everybody, but there's a special place for Bihar. You know, and certain things are designed to be horror. Certain things happen mm-hmm. to end up as a B horror or sci-fi or whatever. But this was done. This was incredibly well thought out. Every single step of this movie was planned. And it's like you said, if you didn't get it, it's your fault. <laughs> and I kind of feel like making a riff track of it. You're kind of as much as I, as like I said, I was a huge mystery science theater fan and 
I really like what they do, and I still do. I mean, there's st- but this one call, I'll say it's you're kind of showing that you did not get it. You know. <laughs> No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, and I'm kind of surprised. I thought, I mean, I've always liked this film, but I thought I was going to like it this time as just like a B, kind of like a B horror kind of thing. or a, a Yeah, the, sa- the same way, yeah, you know. And, like, even, even you know, I, like I said, I like Firefly. I thought it was maybe going to be on, like, a Firefly level, and I don't think Firefly is, like, crappy B you know, some people would disagree with me, but crappy B sci-fi anyway. But this, when viewed, and that is, in I the, mean, it's different. Sorry, sorry to mean to cut no, you. No, it's was, like Firefly for a different reason. It's like it kind of falls into that category where it's it's really good writing, but it was also a first season with no budget. You know? Yeah. So it's like, and that's what I'm saying. You kind of get mixed. You know, things fall into that category for mixed reasons. But this one, like I said, because it was they had a plan and they executed it perfectly. So it's like they succeeded in all forms. You know, it was just kind of like this is going to be the most freaking pretentious thing I might say. <laughs> but it was it was just over a lot of people's heads, I feel. Like it worked on the the flat out level of like, yeah, if you just wanted a straight up, you know, popcorn adventure flick, sci-fi flick, yeah, that there it was and you didn't want to think about it. It's just, hey, I just want to see these guys kill bugs. Like, cool, that's fine, but there was a lot more going on. And it's a sh- it's 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 definitely worth watching it again in that with those lenses on and i think today i think more and more people who are seeing it now are understanding uh that aspect of it i I don't know why i don't know why the lens changes like that i mean i know why like me and you because when we first saw it we were young you know right and that's the thing it's like the target audience that you know Again, it's 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 kind of how we're finding with a lot of these movies is the movies we grew up with. You know, the whole perspective changes from when you're a 13 year old to a 32 year old. <laughs> you know, it's this is like to me like an anti, like an anti fascist masterpiece. <laughs> absolutely. Think about like every war movie you kind of see. At some point at the end of the movie, you feel bad about something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's there's loss, there's heartache, there's death, there's and people die, people get maimed, limbs are gone. Like, people die really, really violent ways. You know what I mean? There is some gruesome kills in here. You know, guys get cut in half, uh, literal brains getting sucked, which is one of the best lines in the movie. They sucked his brains out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, at the end of it, and it's just, and they're so, like, like almost like high school pep rally gung-ho about it, and they'll keep fighting. Yeah, man, Rico's roughnecks, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no such thing as like PTSD. There's there's none of this. It is the crispy, clean, like totally like whitewashed version of it. it. It's really interesting. I think if you made this, well, you know, maybe we'll discuss this, but I think if you made this set today and like an actual war, you probably couldn't get away with that, you know. And you couldn't get away with it with a human enemy. But uh, okay, so I'll say this. As I was saying that, this is a debate, and I, I think you'll enjoy this conversation here because i know this is another movie that you really like but the full metal jacket it has mm-hmm. it has its it's like a two-part film essentially right it has its mm-hmm. o- opening with the you know paris island stuff and then you have the uh i think it's Huey city and and that movie kind of ends on i don't want to say a high note but like everyone's happy essentially um some people have interpreted it as kubrick Kubrick sort of making a propaganda film 
and, and being satirical. I don't know what your take on that is, but that, that, that to me is like the closest of that. And of course, it's a flaming city in the background, so it's a little different, but you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think it's also what mentality – it's almost ex- everything we've been talking about, about dehumanization and uh, compartmentalization, about how you have to switch off that part of your brain. You have to change the way you think when you're in a war situation. And like, listen, I'm not I'm not a veteran. I respect anybody who served. You know, that's something – You know, I don't think uh, – you know, war is something nobody should have to go through. I'm not going to you know, argue any of that. It's something beyond anything. But – um. You know, the idea of having to kill people, it's not an easy one to to come to terms with, you know? So even that scene in Full Metal Jacket where he's sitting there with the dead Viet Cong, oh, yeah. he's like, hey, let me talk to you about my friend. He's making a joke about it because he's trying to cope with it, Yeah, you know? Yeah, it's it's if, I, if I make this guy into a puppet, if I make this guy into a joke, that's one less step of it being real, yeah, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> and even at the end of it, they're marching away from this burning city after they just wasted this poor little girl. You know, it, that, that sniper in Hue City was probably meant to be a 14 or 15-year-old Viet Cong girl. Yeah. You know? So, and they're walking away, and they're leaving this burning city behind there, and what they start singing? Who's the leader of the club <laughs> that's made for you? And, you know, it's the Mickey Mouse Club yeah. song. And it's just a, is it a commentary of, like, hey, they're taking delight in what they do? It's like, no, it's, hey, we're trying to turn our brains off. You know, it's how can we pull a complete 180? At least that's the way I think of it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really good point. You know, and you don't see that here. You know, it's the only good bug's a dead bug. And that's where the whole point of like, and they'll keep fighting and they'll win. And that eagerness, you know, how many guys <laughs> that served in like Nam or something like that were like, all right, let's go round two. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think that many people enjoyed intense combat no but like in this like sparta like military society it's the right literally the greatest glory you could get yeah almost like a a viking death type thing now this movie didn't do so well when it came out and i think it's i think it's a shame because i think the series could have gone in like a different direction with more big movies and such but maybe maybe that wasn't the intention but the thing is, there was a lot more than I – there were some memories that kind of came through after the fact. But there was a lot more as far as series-wise or at least um, franchise-wise than I kind of remembered. So I have Starship Troopers 2 Marauders on DVD, and that's – that one's tough. The third one <laughs> – the third one is actually way better. That's a legit – that's worth the watch. Okay, okay. Um, to, to clarify, Starship Troopers 2 is Hero of the Federation. Oh, Hero of the Federation. Starship three Troopers is 3 is Marauder. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> Marauders is worth the watch. Hero of the Federation because is... Because Rico uh, comes back, right? And yeah, he's, he's okay. a general. He's a general in the third one. And he's non-existent in number two. Gotcha. Um, number two is a really low budget, almost completely CGI uh, setting. and they, So they really leaned into like the B yeah, aspect of yeah. it. Yeah, and th- with the third one, you get more of the, the satire and the messaging back again two is just kind of they tried to make it more of a just straight up action movie and it didn't not even an action more of even more of like a, a slasher where they're kind mm. of being hunted it just did not and for me to say it and I, I like some pretty bad movies um it did not as much as i love this franchise it did not do it for me but even and i had to look it up but once i saw it uh, i do remember there was a, a completely computer animated cartoon series called roughnecks uh when we were younger 
Gotcha. And I don't, I don't remember. I didn't, I guess I didn't watch it as a kid. I remember seeing like commercials and stuff for it. It was honestly, it was probably on the WB 11 and I didn't watch it because I had Nickelodeon, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, there was a lot more to it than I, there was more from it, I guess, than I expected. Yeah, no, there, there was, there was that show Roughnecks and apparently there's also been two animated films, uh, Starship Troopers Invasion and Starship Troopers Traitor of Mars. Um, that have since come out. I mean, I'm not too familiar with those as well. I'll have to go check those ones out. But I think, like, okay, RoboCop is firmly a part of our culture. And not, I mean, it's not a quotable by everybody, but everyone knows RoboCop. And this film didn't, I feel like, didn't have the same fate as RoboCop. Yeah, and same thing with, like, even with, like, Total Recall. You know, it's like, that's another one that people know. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from having, you know, both RoboCop and Total Recall had remakes, you know, to, for my opinion, for the worst, but <laughs> but you know, just the fact that it was that much of a mainstay, yeah. For this one not to fare as well, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> I feel, and I, I I think it just kind of comes down to maybe it was star power. I don't know, like you know, with Total Recall. Then again, Total Recall was based on like a Philip K. Dick novel, which every like great sci-fi kind of has to be almost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, RoboCop. You just had one of the most iconic characters ever created. <laughs> you know um, um, now Robo you mentioned star power Mark Wahlberg was the ideal choice of the producers to play the lead here and he declined but I imagine if I'm, I'm really glad about that <laughs> I I couldn't see it like I would I feel like I would like this movie less if it was Mark Wahlberg but it maybe it would be more popular what are you talking about bug you get mad at me bug yeah, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say about my mother bug? Yeah, say hi to my mother for me. <laughs> <laughs> what are these bugs doing here for? Like, you know, <laughs> that would have been that would have been pretty pretty interesting. <laughs> um, any other things in Starship Troopers you wanted to discuss? Or Sam, I'm trying to go through all my like little notes here. Um, discuss that. Still the military. Yeah. Really quickly, I'm reading something now. Um, this is after they're already serving and such. When I guess they have a, like a dance party, but it's kind of turns into like an i feel like an irish musical dance party oh like the impromptu like where they get this supply drop and it's like beer and, an ele- and like an electric fiddle yeah <laughs> <laughs> that somehow jake Busey knows how to play <laughs> i did not expect jake Busey to play like irish folk music on an electric fiddle in this film and i've seen an electric fiddle like twice in my life and one was this movie and the other time was the guy from yellow card (laughs) (laughs) Card. it's like this in ocean avenue (laughs) (laughs) yeah any any other scenes or things you want to mention in your notes that's like we kind of covered a lot of it it's just um yeah no it's, it's like it was just really like that step back and you realize like I really want to know the prequel, you know, it's, I want to know what happened to a, like what, like what war or what situation happened to unite the world under this completely militarized regime. I think that would be a really interesting story to tell. And I'm going to write a letter to Paul Fierhoven. Let's see. Looking through my notes. Oh, just I, we kind of mentioned this, but I think we uh, there's a lot of gore, yes, but back on Earth, and even not on Earth, but how many people just are like without limbs or are horribly scarred? You know, that raises some questions too. Like, because uh, even the teacher Michael Ironside's character Radchek, like he has a, a missing arm, but a their prosthetics are incredible. It's like 
almost like Luke Skywalker's hand where there's feel, there's touch, there's no loss of dexterity. Yeah. But also it implies that there is a functioning VA. <laughs> You know that I, that I, these veterans are actually getting something that they need, but well, I would say in this society, you know, where the veterans are citizens, they probably have the best care. That's true. It'd be this. It would be the the un the non-serving that would not be <laughs> attended to theoretically. Yeah, I mean, so. and and I think that's where some people get nervous with a film like this. That some people do watch it with the lens of like, see, this is great. This is what society needs to be. I mean, those people are idiots, but like, yeah, and you also don't want to run the risk as you know. The idea is also not to insult veterans by any means. No. that's not that's not what we're trying to say at all. <laughs> you know, it's like, of course, you know, it's that's what we need. We, you know, it's uh, it's just the fact that, you know, we don't need to be um, completely militarized. No, yes, you can have a military <laughs> without fascism. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah let's just uh keep it that way <laughs> um but i mean just like to get into the weeds a little bit with the military i thought it was interesting that yes they are this kind of society and yes they heavily guilt you into joining the military but it is still a volunteer military we see his parents and they're not um you know uh, rico's parents and they're not a military family at all you know, and they actually dissuade him. And I thought that was interesting. It's not just like everyone's drafted and everyone goes. As you mentioned before, you know. You know, so I'm actually curious about that, too. The movie doesn't play on it, the detriment to not joining. Because like you said, like, it's still technically voluntar- like mm-hmm. voluntary. But there's supposed to be, like, um, supposedly ostracization and, like, uh, you know, demeaning as far as if you don't serve, you're looked down upon. But in the movie, it's portrayed that his parents still have money or living in this, uh, you know, really affluent area, you know, uh, before Buenos, Buenos Aires gets destroyed, but they're living in like a, a McMansion style home. They're telling them to come home. We'll pay for your college. Well, it's, isn't that funny? Pay for your college. That college is not free in this, in this world, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, cause I, I, you're assuming, you know, you're at peak capitalism, I guess, if it's completely fascist. Yeah. No, it's just, I mean, there's no, I guess I would assume like the military college is, is free, but they, Hmm. What I'm thinking of, again, this is, we're really getting into the weeds here. I'm (laughs) thinking that the family, yeah, they're rich, but they're probably rich. Like, they're not military, but maybe they're involved in the military industrial complex. The complex. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Arms dealers or, you know, they're they're the Colts and the the Heckler and Cokes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, of the world. Yeah, no, it's possible. Or some kind of class, uh, some kind of class like that. Now, another thing that, and really quickly we'll talk about it, but another thing that is interesting about this film is it's presumed that there's almost a world federation, right? Because they talk about Geneva being the capital and that there is quote-unquote world peace. So there's really maybe not a lot of people to fight back on Earth. I'm sure there are rebellions here and there, you know. But they almost needed to go encroach on the bugs to keep their military society you gotta, going. you got to keep the machine fed. Yeah. You know, it's it's... Yeah, you know, to go back into history a little bit, you know, what was the biggest factor to help pull us out of World War II? I mean, out of uh, the Great Depression, it's World War II. Yeah. You know, as much as the New Deal and all that stuff, you know, that that's all great and it definitely helped. And but you know, nothing mobilizes your economy like preparing for, especially a world war. You know, and when you have your entire society, as you would learn from Minecraft, <laughs> when you when your soul business is war if there is no war you're there is no business so it's the perpetual war you know which yeah that's just why you know like they said we were the ones that invaded 
into bug territory. We needed the war. Yeah. And that's now we're touching on 1984 area, you know, where it's, you know, we're always at war. You know, it's, we're, we're at war with Eurasia and East Asia the whole time. You know, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of these, a lot of these meld thematically for a reason, you know, it's, and especially of the books of the era, you know, cause we're, we're coming out of that post-war and into the cold war and into the nuclear age. And people have seen the paramount of total destruction, like in, you know, you just hope somewhere those lessons are learned. And I also feel like it's why, like, the dystopian sci-fi is kind of coming back around a lot lately. It's we're kind of in a second golden age of it. You know, the first one being like the '50s and '60s. You know, because we're in a similar time. You know, and thematically, it's coming back around. Mm, yeah, <laughs> no, that definitely makes a lot of sense. All right, well, if that's all the uh, Starship Troopers talk, uh, again, I know we could really, really, really get into the weeds, but... Yeah, and I got, I got to apologize to the list, because usually I know we're a bit more lighthearted and <laughs> more jokes lying around. This one got a little serious. No, but I was shocked, shocked with watching this, like how much this movie made me think about these things. Yeah, and, and this is like the first time I had a platform to make this argument <laughs> where people don't have the option to leave the room. <laughs> like if my friends don't have can't sit here and tell me to shut up or just <laughs> this is my drunk bar argument where i'm not getting fought back at like if you turn the, the podcast off or whatever i won't know this but at least i got to voice it <laughs> please, please don't turn the podcast off <laughs> so let's then grade the film on a remember we're doing like an a plus to f like a proper grading scale. Just want to mention, and I think this is like rarely updated, but Rotten Tomatoes has 62% by the critics and 70% by the audience, which is good and better than I expected. And I would assume that if you track this, this has changed through the years and that the film is on an upward trend. Yeah, because even like critic-wise, at first, like Robert, Roger Ebert, like, like killed it, hated it. And then they even I was even reading something that said like he kind of revisited it and looked at again kind of how we said like rewatched it with a different idea and went oh okay I see what you're doing there and kind of changed his opinion of it and like you said people reviewing it now have a much different take on people reviewing it then <laughs> yeah for sure so Dan what uh, what grade are you gonna give Starship Troopers? See, so yeah, now I'm thinking because on all the all the movies we've done together, I feel like I've been a really easy grader just because I have like emotional attachments to these movies. Um, I'll give it a solid B. You're gonna give this a um, B, but you gave uh, what's it called the other day an A. Gleaming the cube. Gleaming the cube. I know. And a. It's, it's, that's what it was. I'm this. I wanted to say A, but I thought you were gonna call me out on this. No, if you want to so, give this an A, give it an A. Yeah, I want to give it an A, but I thought people were gonna say shit. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's more shit you could be said for gleaming the cube than this one. No, I want. Yeah, I want to give this an A, and for totally legit. It's it, like I said from the beginning. This was a perfectly executed plan. Like I said, it's 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 like if you didn't get it, that's your fault. <laughs> Even like down to the casting. Like I said, I think Michael Ironside was the only one that realized that this was a satire and that worked so well, you know, because you wanted that idealistic naivety to come across. And that's it's everything it was meant to be. And, and I, so. I agree with your assessment. I'm going to give it a B plus, And that's a lot higher than I thought it was going to give it. Not that I again, not that I ever disliked this film, but on this viewing. Wow. Like changed my mind about this. And to be clear, not changed my mind like I thought it was bad that it was good. Just 
it feels more important now than I ever thought it was. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. This isn't okay. Going back to that, yeah, it is a, an Academy nominated. Film. <laughs> but yeah, not saying this is you know a game changer in in that aspect. But yeah, all of a sudden there's a really political importance that's revamped to it, and it's a lot more relevant now. To make it really relevant, if the cool teacher in high school wanted to show this in this in the social studies class or the civics class or the history class to talk about like relevant politics or the Vietnam War or something like that, or and make it relevant, it could totally work with that lesson plan. Yeah, no, you could make it work. That's for sure. So yeah, like you said, just important. So I think you're gonna like answering this one. Um, what's your Starship Trooper sleeping bag? What are you bringing to the slumber party? This is like your Ooh. dream sleeping bag to create. <laughs> Ooh. Can it just be the regular sleeping bag with Diz in it <laughs> that Johnny Rico sleeps in? <laughs> I love how when they get together, um, what's his name, like, finds them, and he's just like, G- give it 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, we rally in 15. Make it 20. <laughs> <laughs> no, pick one, pick one. Get creative. There's so many, because, like, it could be, like, the giant, like, flamethrower bug. That he, you know, he shoots the hole in it and then drops the grenade in. Yeah. Like, that could be one. Or, like, <laughs> or when they find the commander in the freezer. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, like, just just the freezer. Or even the cool coffin that they, they do, like, almost like the Star Trek-style burial. <laughs> yeah. that was. There's cool. so many to choose from. I don't want to sleep in a coffin, <laughs> but there's a lot for this movie. <laughs> yeah. So. So I have a new um thing on this podcast, a new... Uh, I guess, question I'm asking people. I don't have a name for this category yet, so anyone out there, if you have an idea, let me tell you what the concept is. You know when you're in your sleeping bag at that slumber party, and let's say we just watched Starship Troopers? You don't just go to bed after that movie. You play a movie, and you play another movie until you fall asleep. So, what movie theater, and it doesn't have to be a high school movie, I prefer it not be a high school movie, what movie do you want to play next? And I say something that's inspired by Starship Troopers. Could be from the most random aspect of the film. Like, oh, this girl's in it. She's hot. Let's watch that film. You know? Like, that's what I'm talking about. All right. Um, going off of that, just the fact that Denise Richards is in it. Uh, probably, was it Wild Things with her and Nev Campbell? Ooh, Wild Things. Oh. I, I think that's a high school movie, right? I think so, but just kind of going with Denise Richards and the girls being topless. <laughs> it's a, a high school boys sleepover type thing. It would fit. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. It would definitely fit. So, Wild Things. I'm going to write that down. So, mine is going to be, and this is a little random, but as I said, tomorrow um, on Third Time's a Charm here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, they're talking about Starship Troopers 3. And I'm sure they'll talk about 1 and 2 in there, because I don't think you just drop into Starship Troopers 3. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) But the guest that Mike Manzi will be having is uh, Christian Larson, someone who's been on this network before. And he introduced me to a film called Hider in the House. So Hider in the House stars Gary Busey, and his son Jake Busey is in this. So two things were connecting me here. And Hider in the House is a... Let me, let me read the explanation for it on Amazon. Tom is a psychopath living somewhere in the house of Julie and her husband, but they don't know it. As a child, Tom would hide to escape his parents' abuse until one day he came out and killed them. Now Tom is obsessed with Julie and is slowly coming out of the attic. So this film is about Gary Busey, who builds a room in somebody's attic and hides in there and spies on a family. It's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and when 
I say Gary Busey, he literally is. I mean, you have hardly seen a movie where he's not, but he literally is Gary Busey. And as I mentioned, um, uh, Mr. Larson was a, a very – he gave us that recommendation. I actually watched it at VHS in, at his home, and it was a treasure. And I highly recommend – if you just want, like, what uh, what the f-, f movie where you just ha-ha uh, – Gary Busey stalking a family. What's the deal with this? This is the film for you. Uh, quick anecdote. Yes. I heard about Gary Busey. Um, I guess when in at his peak or at his worst, I don't know how you want to phrase it. Um, he had like a like a kilo of coke or a bindle <laughs> of coke or something, and his dog like ripped it open and like rolled around in it. Oh god. And he was so like pissed, but like so desperate not to lose the coke that he snorted it. Like off, he's like, he's like, yeah, I snorted it like right off my dog's fur, like fleas and all, like all the oh. shit going off. And he was just sitting there like snorting like rails, oh. off, like out of his dog's fur. Jeez. And like, and like this is like after he had a motorcycle accident and like had a cracked skull, like fractured skull. So I'm with you there, Gary. But, <laughs> but yeah, like, that. that guy is just makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, that guy's just intense. So yeah. <laughs> This segment is intended, like, remember when you used to go to Blockbuster, and I think you, like, you rent two movies, you get the third for free. Those, right, are, your, yeah. those are your sleepover movies. So, theoretically, those are the three we just rented. Starship Troopers, Wild Things, and Hider in the House. So, <laughs> well, Dan, thanks so much for hopping on and talking Starship Always Troopers. Always appreciate being here. <laughs> this is, again, I know one you want to talk about, and... Can't wait to have you on again. Anything you want to plug or where people can find you? Uh, same as always, uh... What am I on Instagram? I'm Broken Panda 87 on Instagram. Like I said, don't expect much. It's mostly uh, mostly motorcycles and my dog. And um, <laughs> hey, like I said, I'll always throw it out there. If you need a if you need a, a truck, medium or heavy duty, uh, come see me over at Bergie's Truck Centers. <laughs> I'm no longer in the bug killing business, despite uh, my love for the movie. I, I got out of the the Terminex business a couple a little while ago. <laughs> Yes, though, again, I'm sure you enjoyed Killing Bugs. It's funny. We had the same training. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know more? Well, that was a super fun one. As always, big thanks to Dan for hopping on and chatting about Starship Troopers. And a reminder, once again, you can check out Starship Troopers 3. And I'm telling you, they're probably going to talk a little bit of Starship Troopers 2, and probably a lot of Starship Troopers 1 as well. So if you're a Starship Troopers fan, check out Mike Manzi's podcast, Third Time's a Charm, on cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's going to be a fun one. I can't wait. And I think that, yep, that drops tomorrow, of course, the third of the month. So, next week, we got an interesting homework assignment. Definitely a change-up. I'm going to let you know right now, it's easy to find this film, but it might not be in a place where you think. The film is Summer School Teachers. Hey, what the hell? California's going to be a snap, girls. <laughs> this team. High school's a snap with the Summer School Teachers. Now, ladies, one more word of caution. This is not Iowa. All right, class. You got to help the poor little farm girl from Iowa. California students mature early. If you're lucky, I might make your job easy. So let's go out there and win. Come on, ladies, love those fun! I'll just sit! Just call me OJ!
want to play. Got it? Women aren't tough enough. I want to play. So if you can't dig it, Mr. Cool, move over, because I'm going to play. They'll beat the pants off any team. <laughs> what has happened to my school? Oh, for Christ's sake! Pick a crash course in driver's ed with the summer school teachers. Only in America can a man go as far as he wants. You are so sensual. <laughs> I don't know what it is about fur that makes me feel so sexy. Debauch mm -hmm. me! And only in America can his little woman go as far as she wants. Listen, do you want to get together and have a drink? What um, happens to you when you get drunk? They can't resist the student body. Wow! A woman's lips, her eyes, her body. Is that obscene? Well, it's a little matter of exposure. I mean, it's okay for me to pose nude for you, but you can't pose nude for me. We got some naked pictures of Miss Henson. Trash. Absolutely trash. We've never had a scandal like this before, and we're not about to start now. But... But what? Learn the bare facts from the summer school teachers. Whatever happened to the old values? So I really wanted to do, like, a 70s B-film, something that's, like, gritty and, <laughs> well, interesting from that trailer, as you can tell. And this movie was, like, free on Amazon for, like, forever. That's how I originally found it. And just recently they took it off Amazon. But if you put uh, Summer School Teachers in your Google machine and you look it up, it's on a couple, couple different sites. I don't know after I say this if they'll take it down. But it's on, I think, like, Daily Motion. I think it might be in two parts. That's how I saw it, at least. But definitely check this movie out. It's it's interesting. It's fun, and we're going to have a really, really fun conversation next week when my favorite guest is hopping aboard, Alexandra Schroeder, Alex Schroeder. She's been on more serious movie episodes, like We Need to Talk About Kevin, which I still can't forget how dark that movie was. <laughs> but this one is going to be a complete change of pace for that, and I'm sure you're going to love it. So tune in next week. Uh, one last thing, I just want to give a thank you to one of my um, favorite podcasts of all time, which is ending, Colt Cabana's The Art of Wrestling. And I've kind of alluded to my love of wrestling on this show, but my love of podcasting really started with Colt Cabana's show. He is the godfather of not just wrestling podcasts, but a lot of podcasting in general. Believe it or not, if there was a podcasting hall of fame, he'd be in it. And he just announced after many, many years... He's at least taking a break or ending his show, and I just want to salute him because I would not be here if it wasn't for Colt Cabana. So I don't want to take up any more time from your summer, even though, again, you're in summer school and your time is my time. But <laughs> I leave you with an interesting song from Starship Troopers. So in the prom scene, they played like a weirdo David Bowie cover. It's called I Have Not Been to Paradise by Zoe Polodorus. Later, dudes. Baby Grace is the victim. She was 14 years of age. And the wheels are turning, turning. For the finger points at me, but I have not.
still here? It's over. Go home. Go.